Welcome to Flow with Arman Asadi. What's good, my beautiful people? I have today in the house my friend Ryan Tansom. Ryan is the founder of a company called Arcona, and he started this company after exiting his family business where they had an exit for eight figures after many years of building that business with his father. And he learned a lot, and he went through a lot of things that he wanted to impart onto others so that they would never have to go through the pains that he'd gone through, specifically the idea that you work so hard to create your company and oftentimes working toward an exit, and then all of a sudden, after taxes and and all the various fees and all the various people who are involved to take some of that skin, you're left with very little. And so he set out to really help people and uncover what is it that creates a business and a vision that you can perhaps stay in and uh, exercise a state of flow through. Or if you do decide to grow and exit, what is the proper way in which to do that? So he's an absolute expert in this area of creating an intentional business, one in which you set a very clear foundation and vision from day one. And with that said, he is the founder of the the host, I should say, of the Intentional Growth Podcast. So I was also on his podcast, and here he is on mine today. I actually met Ryan, um, pretty hilarious way. So we're both part of a group called YEC. It's called like Young Entrepreneur Council, I believe. And uh, there's an annual event in Powder Mountain, Utah. And I finally went to it. And I was on the slopes, this beautiful mountain I was skiing. And, you know, some of the other YC people were there. And Ryan and I got on the chairlift together. And we got to talking. And I won't spoil it because this is where we start the conversation. But we got to talking and just instantly saw the way in which we see the world in such a similar way. And next thing I know, we're realizing all the degrees in which we're, all the ways in which we're connected and the ways in which we're uh, living our lives that is so uh, similar and intentional. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. With that said, uh, we talk a lot about business and really finding flow through that business and some of the fundamentals around doing this the proper way. One of the things about business that's very important is the branding, the copywriting that you use to create the messaging in your company. I created a masterclass, a free training uh, with Founder Magazine, where I go through the 10-step framework that I use and have used in now 13 different seven-figure launches. And I go through this framework uh, in this awesome, beautifully produced masterclass video. So if you want access to that, it's free. Just send me a text, hashtag masterclass, and I will send you this uh, video link. Uh, And you're going to want to shoot that text over to 619-825-2595. That's hashtag masterclass. So with that said, here is my conversation with Ryan. Yeah, man. First of all, dude, the way we met and the way in which we met from that very moment, you know, there's like little specific moments with certain people you meet that just kind of like something sparks your attention. You know what I'm saying? And dude, you were absolutely one of those people were like from the, I think we were like on the slope, on the ski slope or on the lift. Chairlift. And I, I think it was the chairlift. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Yonker. I, I think you started talking about there was two things that have stood out to me, man, since since we've met. One is 
the way in which you went through the journey of being an entrepreneur that was a slave to what you had to do and what you had to get done. And you had that aha around not only how do I have an exit that where I actually walk out a winner, but also this concept of how do I bring lifestyle and balance and all the values of my life back? So I think that's that's like a major topic I want to dig into with you. And then secondly, so much of what we talked about, man, came down to fulfillment. And there were, you know, little elements of even spirituality throughout the conversation and the books that we've read. And uh, I rarely get that like one, two punch combo with somebody. So ever since the moment we met, man, it's been awesome. And we've been talking about certain books, uh, Untethered Souls, another one that we went through together recently. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm just excited. So thanks for you being here. like, wait a second. He knows how to pronounce Mihai can checks Mihai. <laughs> <laughs> All of it, man. All of it. Yeah, man. It's true. So now here we are talking about flow. Uh, So yeah, man, I rarely, rarely do this where I, where I want to kind of go back into a story, but your story is so profound to me and it sparked so much interest and fascination. So dude, what, what happened when you were building this business? Um, What was that aha? Like, like walk me through that. Yeah, and there's so much to it, and I've even learned even more. So, uh, which may or may not be applicable for the podcast. Uh, as in, I uh, launched my 200th episode, and um, my partner interviewed me, and it's just interesting. And I, so it wasn't my business; it was my dad's. Um, and we sold that one, and I've been on a journey for six years building my own business to solve the problem that we had, and. Um, in a super big nutshell, Armand is like my dad. I watched my dad grow it from the ground up, and um, you know, worked in and out of the business my whole life. It was copiers, sold copiers, serviced them. I helped right. build, manage IT services, and so we were doing the business to business tech play. And um, we had 115 employees and 21 million in revenue. And um, there was there was a lot of challenges in the business when I. So I swore to God I'd never start and work for him full time. Well, I did. And then I helped turn around the business and we ended up selling it in 2014. And yeah, man, I learned a lot because it became like it was one of my babies and there was Mm -hmm. dynamics in it. And yeah, dude, I just I learned a lot as far as how integrated business and life and finances and your purpose and all that stuff can be sold it. And uh, because my dad wanted out and um you know, we couldn't figure out how to connect all the dots from like how to like how can I buy it? like all the advisors. Right. It wasn't getting into the whole, the whole picture. And um, after we sold it, it was just like, man, like I, I mean, honestly, like I went home and I cried. Like I was just like, we got mm-hmm. a huge you know wire to the to the bank account, and it's just like that didn't have to be that way because um, mm. you know there was this whole manage IT and all this uh, offering that I built out and like we had to we had to let go 50 out of the 85 employees when we sold. Wow. Yeah. So it's it. Like I, at that point I realized. And he never really saw himself letting go of the company, right? Or am I, am I forgetting? No, there's so many dynamics involved. Yeah. In it. And I, uh, I honestly, just to be super honest is I think I overstepped my bounds a little bit on one of my mm-hmm. recent episodes. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I actually felt bad because I, like it'd been six years and it's been so part of what I'm doing now that I actually forgot how much it was his baby too. Mm. And he was actually really upset about the episode that mm. I did, which is very interesting. And I didn't even think about it. And uh, so now I'm kind of trying to 
you know, yeah. respect what we've both built. And uh, so it was, he was, it was never really like, as we were turning around, he, his passion for the business didn't get as invigorated as mine. I'm younger and he was older and, you know, I was mm. like, let's take it and let's run. And he wanted to, you know, just step back and get his money. Sure. And so sure. I think it's very interesting on a side note of that to use other people's stories is like you have different ages, different yeah. tolerance, different times in life, different life dynamics. And when you have partners like that, it throws a whole different wrench. Partnership is really hard, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I took it like, you know, the honeymoon phase of, of my partner and I, like, you know, you just kind of take it like, yeah, this is great. We're, you know, in my case, it was like best friend, best friend. Like, this is great. You know, we're just cruising along. We got this big why, this big purpose, this big totally. mission. And uh, I think you got to get slapped around a bit by the business before you really have to dig in and and master the interpersonal relationship aspect of partnership. Totally, man. And like, you know, I want to make sure that I'm I'm getting guided by you and how you want to take this interview. But like one of the biggest challenges that I see with most partnerships, family dynamics, and it's some of the stuff that we teach now of how to avoid this stuff. And it's kind of a lot of life, which is expectation setting Mm -hmm. is there's a huge difference between your W2 pay in your management role than ownership. So like you and I could own a business Mm -hmm. and you could be the sales director and I could be the finance director. We should be getting paid a salary for that role market salary. And if we don't do our duties, we should be fired. But that doesn't mean that we couldn't own the company. You know, you and I could be 50-50 ownership, but that is way different than your role. And I actually did a podcast a couple months ago. It's most people solve their problems through payroll. Tell me more about that. Yeah. they They don't understand valuations and actually the value of cash flow and the value of ownership. So what they do is say, all right, Armand, here's the deal. Uh, we both love this. We both have a big why. Let's both pay each other 125 grand. And then we'll just like hustle to make 125 grand. And then it's not like, but like, what are you doing in the business? Is what you're doing as valuable as what I'm doing? And then you argue about it. And so we have 50-50 ownership. So we both get 125 grand. Mm-hmm. And then it's just conflict, conflict, conflict versus saying, hey, Armand, you know what? We're both owners so we both get 50 50 ownership and we get to get 50 percent of the value when it's liquidated or 50 percent of the distributions when it happens but if you're customer service you're getting paid 20 bucks an hour because that's what customer service gets paid and if i'm a ceo i'm getting paid 200 grand because that's what i get paid and most people don't do that so it's they don't they don't actually create i did the same thing we created employment agreements (laughs) you're you can be a founder and yeah. you still need an employment agreement. Yeah. You have to have a job like specific to uphold. You can still and and you can you can keep your equity. Yeah. You know, those are two separate things. Oh, and do people just throw all that stuff into a blender and they go <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. And then it's like, okay, at what point are we going to argue? And it's usually all the time. Yeah, and then you get a sort of templated operating agreement. And if you don't get a templated up op- and then, you know, the other confusion I have, I like that we're talking about this because this kind of stuff hasn't really come up for me a lot before with other people is like the discussions around uh, the legal nature of companies. You know, a lot of times, like, for example, my uh, one of my companies, Project Evo, is an LLC. But you know what gets really confusing is when you start using corporate language and structure 
to describe the functions of how an LLC should operate. I mean, even just an operating agreement or, you know, an operating agreement, like, like an LLC doesn't necessarily have a board, you know, it doesn't have any of these things, but you try to build them in. Oh, I know. And you build them in and you set roles and you try to pull in language, but then it gets very confusing for each individual. It gets confusing for the lawyers. They're like, why are you using this language? This is typically used in a corporation. Um, and, and it just gets super confusing. So then if you go the route of a custom agreement, man, I mean, I don't even know what we spent. God, I don't even want to say maybe 15,000, mm-hmm. something like that. It was ridiculous. A million bucks in a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So- what did you, yeah, what did you like, what would you do going forward since you don't want to just throw shit in a blender? Um, you know, I think, you know, right it goes back and I'll, maybe I can set the groundwork and like, I, is it's about understanding what do you want from you and your business and they, like, what kind of relationship do you want with it? And I like, are you going to be, it just, most people just don't premeditate that and like we so we call our our framework the intentional growth framework so this is not growth for growth sake i actually podcast interview that goes out this week for me interviewed a guy named xavier um helgeson who like he talked about if he would have grown at 25 percent year over year instead of 40 percent, he wouldn't have to bring on a private equity partner you mean what happens is growth is expensive so you end up mm. quite, you know growing yourself into partnerships that you don't want i mean so to go back in, because we sold, we paid a bunch of mo- a bunch of uh, taxes, we paid a bunch of debt payoff, and we're like, wait a second, how much is left? <laughs> and like, right. what's the point of this? And then you start to realize, like, my family, my friends, all the, and we can talk about flow. How I believe that I was living in flow pretty much ninety five percent of my time. You can't recreate that as easily. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like there's like this decoupling of your business from your identity to finances to so much. So if you can understand that relationship from a financial and a, uh, and a personal dynamic relationship, then you can say, okay, here's how it fits right now. What do I want it to look like? And it's kind of like that, what do you call that S curve where you like you, you transition in the middle to continue growing, mm-hmm. but it's like almost a little bit of, you know, creative destruction to get to the next stage. And so there are to set the framework. There are five principles that it took me years and hundreds of podcast interviews to say, how does this make sense? Right? Like I'm a big guy that are a big uh, proponent of like, let's make a framework. Cause then I can understand mm. it. Cause otherwise it's just like, there's just puzzle pieces without the picture. Who cares? Mm-hmm. So the first one is, and they go in sequential order because it helps synthesize, synthesize different comments or questions or problems that people need to solve. First one is, what are your drivers? Like, Armand, what do you want from your business? So there's questions like, do you love solving leadership? They're kind of like flow questions. Is it, Yeah. are you trying to, are you a creator? Do you want a legacy? So I've got, you know, clients who work with like their employees are the best part of their life, the community, or is it like someone that wants to disrupt an industry because they hate how everybody else is doing the product or service in their industry. So they created something mm-hmm. different. There's always this why that's driving someone and that could be imp- that how that story continues could be impacted based on like who takes over the business next or what mm-hmm. you better sell it. The second principle is your financial targets. So we say there's three of them. You back into your annual income that you want. So if you want, call it a hundred grand, let's, let's for easy and what we say is that 
Uh, if you want 200 grand a year, you need 5 million net or you need to net 5 million have liquid to passively keep the 200 grand. Mm-hmm. So then you say, okay, what's the target income? What's your outside net worth? Cause if we've got clients where they, if they got real estate or some other investments, they don't yeah. have the liquidity of their business. So the mm-hmm. third principle or the third uh, financial target is the value of your company. So what's the value today? So if you're doing a million in EBITDA and you times it by five, let's say it's worth 5 million bucks. Mm-hmm. Pay taxes, paid on debt. That that asset is worth something to you right now. How do you grow that value? So you have to understand how that fits into your life right now to be able to measure and monitor where you're going. So the third principle is mm-hmm. the exit options. ESOP, private equity, strategic buyer, there's search funds out there, and then there's uh, internal mm-hmm. transfers. Each one of those will impact the value, how much money you get up front versus over time, and your role. So whether you're going to be an employee after on or yeah, yeah what, what are what are those again? Can you go through those again? ESOP, which is employee stock ownership plan, um, mm-hmm. equity, and inside of private equity, we would put family office, um, yeah. essentially professional investors, and then uh, strategic buyers. Yeah, where you private, get like a great valuation typically. Yeah, premium, but yeah, and those could be supply chain, geographic, IP, you know, employment, mm-hmm. uh, employee issue, uh, uh, labor um, acquisitions. Then there would be internal transfers, which could be partnerships, it could be families, it could be mm-hmm. managers, and then there's what we call the acquisition entrepreneur, um, which mm-hmm. is uh, like a search fund or someone that came from Microsoft or you know 3M that wants to buy a business. Mm-hmm. Um, each one of those are significantly different. There's a gazillion different ways to structure right. a Rubik's cube, but those five kind of cover the bases and then there's subcategories of them. But, you know, in ESOP, if you sell to an ESOP, you, it's a financial sale. So they, ba- they yeah. base financial, the valuation based on financials, but it's a huge on the legacy. You don't pay taxes once you sell the business and it's not, an owner, it's only an ownership transition. It's not a management. So you can't like sell your company to an ESOP and then walk away if you don't have good management mm-hmm. versus a strategic buyer. Like my, like the one we sold to might got the company. They so if you think about, it, yeah, each of those exit options will impact your personal drivers. God, it's fucking wild. Cause I'm having the same experience I had the first time you gave me like a cliff notes version of this, which was, Oh my God. I didn't think about any of this when I first started my companies and how many other entrepreneurs are doing the same. Like we just start with like a very general, elusive why. Yeah. And we think that that's enough. A a problem that you're solving, right? Because that's what we're taught. That's what we're told. At least I don't know who teaches entrepreneurship, but that's what you learn. It's like solve a problem especially if it's one that you are solving for yourself kind of feels more fun and provide value to that customer exponential value like 10x and have a deep desire to keep showing up because it's going to get really fucking hard (laughs) nobody talks about this framework that you've created well nobody not even one piece of it well think about like if you you know, and it depends on which side of entrepreneur. I want to finish the four, the four, and the yeah, fifth please. in a second. But the like, so let's take the grind, solve a problem, pre seed money. It's gonna be you know pre pre revenue. I'm like, what the fuck, man? 
like I live in the world, by the way, and I totally respect VC and uh, like the the the, sure. the actual VC world plays a significant role in innovation and in our world. But like, well I live, I primarily live in the world of there's cash flow, and we're valuing that cash flow because, like, I mean. Yes. There's people that could literally like. Would think if you sat down in front of someone and said, "Okay, Armand, you got a really good vision. If you go the VC route, you're selling your soul to VC. Period. Like mm-hmm. they're the they're the bosses. They're the the money has personality. The the personality wants their money back once you succeed. They have the right to fire you. You're gonna grind until and you have to have four thousand percent year over year growth. Or if I said, Armand, here's the deal. If you let's say you solve the problem in the pet space and you said, Hey, by the way, I'm gonna do this. I want to make 200 grand a year and then I'm going to slowly grow. And by the way, in 10 years, the company's going to be worth 10 million and I own a hundred percent. You get to choose. There's, there's pros and cons of each moonshot total, like the hustle approach versus I just want to be independently wealthy. I think it's just about like determining what do you want and thinking through it before you make all these decisions that you wake up and you go, I mean, like uh, I interviewed Rand Fiskin from, uh, Yeah. Creator of Moz, second Moz, like most, yeah. Yeah, SEO toolbar. He got fired from his own company. <laughs> Everybody knows what Moz is, and he got fired. Yeah. From his company's like, I wish I wouldn't have necessarily raised the money. So, mm-hmm. to go back to the fourth principle, then is once you understand your first three principles, what do I want? What are my financial targets and the value of my company? What's my target value? And then, what are my exit options that I'm marching towards? The fourth one is what can I do to increase value? So there are real three main levers, increase EBITDA, increase your multiple and pay down debt. For those that don't know EBITDA, earnings before uh, interest, tax, uh, depreciation. Amortization. Amortization. It's a proxy for cash flow. Like Mm -hmm. what's the cash flow from the company and what's the risk of that cash flow period? Just like in commercial real estate, you say I need a 15 cap. Well, that fairly risky real estate versus a five cap might be Walgreens never going away. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing with, with actual cash flow in a company is that in the Walgreens situation, the reason you're going to 5% interest on it is because super valuable. The real estate is valuable mm-hmm. because it's got a really good tenant in the 15 cap. You might have bars and restaurants, which right now in mm-hmm. it's not ideal no. so there's going to be lower value in the real estate and a higher desire for interest like a mm. kind of like a junk bond so inside of the fourth principle there are very specific ways armand that you can measure your cash flow and the risk of it from leadership to systems to ops to finance to legal to mm. technology to strategic planning and so like if you de-risk your cash flow and make it more sustainable, predictable, and transferable, mm-hmm. the more your company's worth. Period. Mm-hmm. So, like your like each of those exit options value your company based on cash flow, but then we call it the purpose of the deal might drive the multiple up because a strategic mm-hmm. buyer has got very specific things that they want to do with your business, but it starts at that financial valuation, and then mm-hmm. all the emotional bullshit gets tacked on top of it. Ah. So, but there's, there's, that's where it starts, right? Someone's got to make a return on the purchase somewhere in the supply chain of investing. And then the the fifth principle is your team of advisors, investment banker, tax, wealth, CPA, uh, attorney. You should be, as an entrepreneur, here's what I learned is you got to be able to hand your advisors the plan that you want. Mm. 
Otherwise, you're going to be paying a lot of money to learn about every little piece of the puzzle while you're doing the puzzle upside down without looking at a picture. Oh, my God. Well said. Now, when you're talking about giving them the plan, are you talking about giving them these five pillars, the upfront vision, like the whole vision upfront of what you're working toward? Or on the back end, when it's time to exit, you want to be really clear with them what you're looking to do and have them take over a lot of the the heavy lifting of those areas? It's a good question. And, I, and I'll uh, send you, it's, we actually call it the intentional growth vision board. <laughs> um, so it's, it captures these five principles together. And it is something where we, here's, here's would be a comment that one of uh, the, the clients that have gone through the educational material has would say, so we've got one right now, he's got 80 employees, vision, his, his legacy is super important. He's sent 65 people and their spouses to Tony Robbins, Unleash the Power Within. Damn. So he's not only written some solid checks, but he cares. Life-changing event, by the way. <laughs> haven't been, and I, and I would love to go. And I think about, like, if he sold to a third-party strategic buyer like I did, and mm-hmm. they fired a bunch of his employees, he would not be happy. So, like, mm-hmm. what he said is he said, you know, so his value, so out of his, ca- his cash flow right now is 1.2, and EBITDA, his valuation is 5.5 million. If he can take his EBITDA to 2 million and de-risk his cash flow, his valuation will be 12 million. Mm. So he'll literally go from 1.2 in EBITDA to two, five and a half million dollar valuation to 12. And he'll go from netting 2.5 to netting 8 million. Mm. And then in 36 months, if he can do an ESOP and sell to his employees, that's his goal. So he's got growth strategic plans. He's got a specific plan of like, hey, in three to six, three, 36 to 60 months, I'd like to do this. Mm-hmm. Not a guarantee, but he's working towards something. And then he's handing that plan to advisors to say, this is what I want you to help me solve for. What are the tax ways to optimize this? What are the legal oh, wow. structures? Instead of, I mean, I, I had this one woman, she said she spent about a half a million dollars, probably more than she should have, because she was learning on the fly. Yeah. Or trying to, trying to, uh oh, you know, kind of like reverse the wheels. Let's amend that tax return. I could have saved another X yeah. amount of money, you know. Or like so, yeah. doing things they regretted. So I think yep. in in all this too, is the more valuable of a business that you have, the more freedom and choices you have. So if you truly want to be a creator, to live in the flow, to solve problems, I mean, if you love your industry, don't freaking sell the business. You know, mm. create a valuable company that gives you the freedom to do those things instead of just grinding away for some bullshit, big, huge ring of the bell that actually might not be like you thought it was. Yeah. It might be in a, in a lot of ways, right? And what are some of those ways? Because there's this whole thing around the glory of entrepreneurship, the big exit, the big payday. And so many people sign up for this journey for that reason. And oftentimes then they get led into the VC route and path again for that reason. Because the most marketable aspects of entrepreneurship are VC money, building a tech company, and a big exit where you're that moonshot idea that all of a sudden created a massive impact in the world and boom, you you are free and rich for life. But what is the actual percentage of people that do this? It, it's almost nothing. It's Sign up almost normal, dude. Like you think- <laughs> Like, <laughs> you can at least do that while you're at home on the on the couch. I mean, true, true. Less work, uh, equal probability. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
it's, uh, so it's it's kind of it's kind of fucked up. I mean, it really is because for for whatever reason, these are the this is the path that has the most marketing and glory behind it. Especially when you're outside of the world of entrepreneurship and you don't know a lot about it, you haven't stepped into it. That's what you see from the outside. You you assume that everyone's working toward that vision. So. If you aren't uh, getting distracted by this bullshit path and you do take the time to decide these things up front, the amazing thing about what you just said is one of the options is you, you don't have to exit. You can build something that fuels your life, that gives you freedom, and not a lot of people are after that. And I think you're absolutely right because if you can I believe it was Naval Ravikant that said this recently, and it, and it might not be, but I want I wanted to throw it out in case it is. And he said something around the idea of your business should be a reflection of your identity. And so many times we get trapped where it has nothing to do with our identity. And if you're lucky enough to have cultivated and built something and crafted something that can be a reflection of your greatest strengths and your identity and gets you into flow, what else are you looking for? Dude, nailed it. You, you nailed it. And like, here's, so did you and I talk about conscious capitalism? No, no. Are you familiar with the term? Mm-hmm. So a conscious capitalism is like, and I'll, and I'll tie this in and I'll even explain to you my story and what I've, yeah, like, yeah. How it's, how it's built our my future plan too. conscious capitalism, fantastic book. Cause like I, the biggest problem that I have with, uh, honestly capitalism in itself and making money Armand after we sold is like, I like making money, but I absolutely freaking hate it. If it's not optimized for everybody, like, mm. like so I made a shitload of money selling copiers after I got out of college and I'm like, this sucks. Like literally sucks. Who cares? Like I'm selling people shit they don't need. I probably, mm. like, and like, it's the same thing after I sold them. Like, well, I could get into private equity or investment banking, but what if they don't want to sell? And I got to jam things down people's throat that they don't need. And so mm. I read this book, Conscious Capitalism, and I was like, oh my God. It's like, he calls it wind of the sixth power. And it's benefiting your stakeholders. So your investors, your community, your employees, your suppliers, your vendors, like everybody. And they outperform the S&P 500 like 15 times. And they're so funny because if you think about it, so many times in my interviews, I hear this, oh, I like, I mean, I interviewed a guy that netted a hundred million bucks and he's like, they're just pissed because they don't have this infrastructure to change the world anymore. They now just have a big portfolio mm -hmm. and they have to go sit on boards of bureaucratic bullshit and they don't have enough like power to move things. But if you like think about, I had 115 employees, I had three locations, I had thousands of customers, like Think of your leverage with that mm. if you wanted to do good. And so conscious capitalism really bottles all that up. And if you think about it, it's there's ways to connect all these dots for you as an individual, depending on what you want. So I want to give you a, like an idea to just tie together like what yeah. our and also how this the VC could be different depending on what people want. So there's my partner and I are actually planning on buying service-based companies. Uh, we're actually mm. in the process of uh, buying one right now and like garage door HVAC sprinkler irrigation, like super mm. unsexy shit. Right. But it's service-based, right? So we have the ability one, cause my partner sold to an ESOP for a lot of money. And mm. so the way that an ESOP works and I'll, I, 
Actually, let me take a step back. So for how you can make money, I'm so now I'm going back to wanting a buying a business, wanting to buy a business. How many people that I've interviewed that sold that are like, mm. now to change the world, I need to go buy a company to have the infrastructure again. But I no longer are going to be racing towards this exit like you were just talking about. I'm going to keep mm. it for good to install conscious capitalism into it to get yeah. into my flow. John Mackey was the author, yep. and yeah, John Mackey and Raj. I don't know how to say it last time. Um, so we are in the process of we're going to be using an SBA to buy a company. Nice. So 7A? Uh, yep. So if we put mm-hmm. 400 grand down, we can buy a company that's $2.5 million. Mm-hmm. If we pay down the debt within and grow at 5% over the next seven years, both of our equity values will be worth $1.5 bucks if we do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Right. So you think about it like that's just pure, like slow, steady growth, but there's wealth tied to it. In ESOP, the way that an ESOP works, so if we, if you, the, in ESOP, you have to have a million dollars in EBITDA mm-hmm. and a $5 million valuation. But the way that it works, Armand, is that, are you, are you familiar with them at all? No, go keep going. So an ESOP is an ownership transition. Right. So it's not a management. So it's not like a private equity or a third party. They're going to come in and they want to take over control of your operations. Mm-hmm. So you sell your your company, your LLC or your S Corp or C Corp to this trust that is a retirement vehicle. So your your shares get sold to this ESOP trust. You can get a third mm-hmm. to a half of your money up front. So the bank, like, let's say you were doing a million in cash flow. You said, okay, let's say it's worth 5 million bucks. Yeah. You can get two to two and a half million upfront. Hmm. You're going to do a seller's financing on the other part, which you actually get MES financing of 10 to 12%. Hmm. Pre-tax money, by the way. And you still get to control your company after the sale. You're still the CEO. You still, you still get your pay. It's just no longer your company to do willy nilly what you want with uh, the distributions, because the ESOP, are you no longer the the manager or the owner of the entity? Then you're the not the owner of the entity, but you're still the CEO. You are the acting, operating, correct. Officer. So then, what happens is the ESOP. Let's say it's over twenty years. The employees get vested. Mm-hmm. The ESOP no longer pays any taxes, Armand, federal or state. So on a million in cash flow, if you're paying three hundred fifty grand a year in taxes. No more taxes, and which is why banks loan the money. And so the seller financing and the and the bank financing, you literally pay for it with the tax savings. Right. You right. can pay down all the 10%. debt. Yeah. At least, right? <laughs> and right. so now you're you can pay off all that debt in five to seven years, and all your employees vested in the, the business. So you just made all your employees mm. beneficial owners of the company. They never had to write a check, and it's about having employees, employee owners who are all driving towards building a more valuable company. Hmm. I mean, I've interviewed people that have got ESOPs. Armand, one had a 135-year-old ESOP. He's got people on the shop floor making 15 bucks an hour that are millionaires. Huh. Is, uh, what, what's in it, what are a few popular examples of companies that are run this way? I, um, I, and I, is Patagonia? They're a B Corp. Oh, so that, okay. that's like one step removed because a B Corp has 20% of its profits allocated mm-hmm. to a charitable cause or something like that. Tom mm-hmm. Shoes has got the same kind of situation, but an ESAP truly is just an, a retirement vehicle. Uh, I'm trying to think of the biggest ones. Life Touch is one. Hy-Vee Grocery Store is another okay. one. 
Um, but the the point is, you know, that's a lot of technical jargon for some people. But the reality is, like, if you truly love a business and you love leadership and you're integrating all the mm-hmm. stakeholders into it, you can make wealth, mm-hmm. live in flow, continue to like creating money, like creating a valuable business is good for everybody, right? Mm. It's good for, and especially when the employees are benefiting in it. You know what oh, I mean? Like, man, I can only imagine the, 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 the passion and the interest and the vigor that an employee would work with if they felt like a partner. Um, and we did that for some of our very first people in one of my companies where we just issued um, kind of like an employee stock program, you know, like just, just stock units. Um, I think we did it as uh, RSUs, restricted, restricted stock units. So anyway, it's like it made a huge difference. Like they, they viewed themselves as like long-term partners from the get-go. So I can only imagine building toward that. So do you think then that this is an amazing path for someone who loves the company that they've built, enjoys the role that they're playing, and wants to do this for the long run? Is this kind of one of the optimal paths? It, it could be. I mean, it's cash flow based, right? So if you're, yeah. and I don't discredit the the VC route because, like, if if you have a bunch of people that are coming in, they're vesting, and it is burn through this, get product pricing fit, and launch this to someone else. There's a role for that in the economy for yeah. sure, but that the exit is the driving determining factor. The investors need to make their money, period. But like mm-hmm. in the in the world of cash flow, and if you want, if you can build a valuable business. And you like if the owner can, in principle, to hit their financial targets and engineer because of de-risking the cash flow and building value, like this is like like truly a mathematical equation. Like you can say, okay, Mm -hmm. the value of this cash flow is five million bucks because on a million dollars, here's how risky it is. You don't need to have some random strategic buyer tell you that. You can just almost, I mean, like it's just like real estate. You can go in there, you can do all these things Mm -hmm. with real estate and make it worth more money. Mm-hmm. You can do the same thing with business. And so like it solves some problem or it solves some problems from, uh, from entrepreneurs that like that. But like it, it goes back to what do you want? You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a questionnaire that we have in the first principle of like, would you want to be an employee? Like if you sold to a private equity firm that had all ownership and you weren't financially free and you're sitting in management meetings and you don't like what they're doing to the business, how would you feel? Dead. Inside. Yeah. Like, for me. You know, like, I, <laughs> or if like, you know, it, it's so funny because like I've even talked to someone where like they get so jazzed about how they talk about their customer service. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, if you sold to a private equity firm, depending on which kind of PE firm, mm-hmm. their optimal, their internal rate of return is their goal. And if you have bloated costs because of your fantastic customer service, they might mm-hmm. cut that. How would you feel? And they're like, well, that would suck. And I'm like, well, then don't sell it to that person. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And they're like, well, so it's just thinking about those things that then you can like, again, going back to that first principle, if those are things that are important, build a valuable business around those things that are important. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. if you hate the business and you never want to talk about it again, don't do an ESAP because you'll be miserable. <laughs> right, right. No, it totally makes sense. What do you want to build, Ryan? What's your outcome or not even your outcome like what what are these what do these pillars look like for you like what are you building now especially with everything going on obviously there's been big big shifts 
You know, Armand, like what I've noticed is like there is truly only a few ways to change things and you have to have an infrastructure. I mean, one of my favorite human beings on this planet that I admire is Ray Dalio. Mm. And he's worth $18 billion and he still can't change anything. Mm. And and because he's not impacting policy. And so like when I think about like my plan is like – the business, so the business, so we want to we want to practice what we preach because we the educational business is what we like to teach people, so that we can give them the freedom to choose. Like I don't care what people do, I just want them to be able to say I did, I knew all the I knew all the information before I made my decision. So as we continue over the years to build this educational program, how we actually build the wealth and the infrastructure is going to be on the home services side. So we're going to centralize. Mm-hmm essentially everything into one one company that is garage or HVAC, home home care, cleaning, all that stuff. And then as that becomes valuable enough, our goal is two and a half million in EBITDA in like five years. And then if we can get to 5 million in 10 years, then do the ESOP. So essentially mm-hmm. we make the employees wealthy, us wealthy, and then that can be going on without us to give us the platform to be able to make impacts man because like i watch too many people i can't sit on a board and just like yeah you don't have enough you don't have enough say on a board what does impact look like for you what are some of the things that you care about you know man especially today we do we even dare going into <laughs> absolutely you know and i'll tell you why and i'll tell you why because it's more important than ever to be able to speak and speak truth. And it's just about individual truth, man. And I think your truth is amazing and beautiful and you have so many brilliant ideas. So I am curious, but I do understand the the trepidation. <laughs> no, it's funny because I, like, I, I want, you know, I think it maybe I'll start with like some context because so what I enjoyed about talking with you is like, yeah. there needs to be grace right now mm-hmm. for people to be able to say the wrong thing. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, my, my wife and I, like she, we're, we're big learners and we'll get in arguments about how we view things, but we then mm-hmm. we approach that with grace and knowing that like, I will change my view. Like, it's okay. I just, I need to understand, but when it's people that are ignorant and the unwillingness to listen is so frustrating to me. Oh, it's it, a, it's an epidemic. Actually. I think that's the real problem that we're facing right now. And I think it's dangerous. I think it's mm-hmm. actually really scary. And, um, I, I intend to do what I can to create impact in the other direction, which is this exact moment, this exact example, creating the, the, even the possibility for a human being to express their opinion and beliefs as they stand today, knowing that their outcome is the same as everybody's, which is, I want to move toward truth. I want to move toward understanding. I want to develop my knowledge and get to a place where I understand how to solve these problems. And we also need the ability to, yes, have compassion for everything that's going on and for each other. Empathy and compassion are critical, but not at the loss of logic and rationality and the inability to listen to a person who doesn't have the same viewpoint as you and to smash them down in the name of compassion. Yeah, That's the fucked up part. Yeah. It's, it is, it's so frustrating, isn't it? Like, and like, very frustrating. And like, and then in a today's world where like, we have such short attention spans. Like, if you think about it, like if the listeners are still listening to us, <laughs> like the five principles, it's, 
it's complex, but it simplifies the complex, but it still takes time to understand the simplified version of the complex machine. And like racism is complex. Inequality is complex. The economy is, is complex. And if we don't understand the machines of each of these, like I, I have this problem where like, because I love the big picture and then I love the micro picture. Like when someone says a statement, it's like, you're talking about this part, right? Man, see, this is what I'm talking about. You're, yeah, this is why you're so wise, bro. <laughs> it's like, so here, here's a stupid, stupid example that like stuck with me from when I was a child that like someone said, like, it's, it's a difference of thinking. Like, so if you, if you took like a, this two dimensional world, someone's like, explaining like different perspectives. And if you took, three fingers and you and they had these little 2d people and you mm -hmm. stuck three fingers in, in this two-dimensional world and they said and then would you two let's say you and i were two-dimensional say armand what is that and then you'd say well it's a cylinder and then the other person saying like no it's three pillars and then like they're arguing about it but then you're like wait a second that's three fingers that are three-dimensional tied to human being and tied like that's what's going on right now is we're arguing about this stupid little shit yeah and people don't spend the time to understand the big picture and how it actually works. It's hard. And it is hard. And I love that shit. And yes. so if, like, I don't think it's everybody's responsibility to learn how that works. You know, the big picture works. And so like, I think that there needs to be safe environments that are created for the people to learn and whatever capacity they want to fulfill their own happiness. Right. Mm. Whatever that might be. I mean, it, but there's not, everybody should have to, conquer the world you know yeah. and that's where like, i think about the employees of the companies that we buy if you're a plumber that just wants to fix things and go home and have a happy family that should be your product absolutely but i think you know that i love i love looking at the big picture and i think the people that are responsible for fixing that shit are doing a good job <laughs> absolutely and so, like, I, I think about the the like the conscious capitalism approach where like i grew up a like big capitalist family, right? Like mm -hmm. here's what my dad said. He, Cause I mean, I think about what he built and he built it in the business from, I think some different angles of like trying to prove the world that he was something, which is a whole different episode in itself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you, if he, like he would say to me, you work hard and you get, re you get rewarded for your hard work. Like that's a true statement. Right. And then people that don't work hard and are lazy, shouldn't get rewarded rewarded for the hard work. And I like on the surface, I agree with both those statements, mm -hmm. but in order for both those statements to be true, we need to be starting at the same level. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like in, you can't say that. Equality today. of opportunity. Yeah. You can't say that anymore. Like, when like, our, Is our starting line the same? That's yeah, really all. And like, it's totally freaking false now, now these days. Like I think about how hard, like even the young entrepreneurs group that we're in, how mm -hmm. hard they'll fucking work. Yep. just to get up the next rung of the ladder. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, good luck if you're anybody else without the perfect opportunities or the perfect, you know, seed funding. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. So I just think about like those statements would be fun to have true again. You know what I mean? Where everybody have like the certain, I don't know exactly how that looks, but I think having a business, you can start with your little ecosystem and it continue to branch out. And I think that's what I would challenge any entrepreneur is that, if the business is a reflection of you and if you are trying to make a difference, if you don't have that platform of cash flow and or infrastructure, can you truly 
be fulfilled without it because it's really hard. Hmm. Equality of opportunity is a beautiful thing that I feel many people want to fight for and rightly so. Equality of outcome is a prickly fucking pear and that can get really dangerous. And unfortunately, a lot of what we see oftentimes from as far as I see and can tell at least is that we're just confusing certain subjects and topics. We get our information from whatever place. And then our heartstrings start pulling and our emotions start to factor in. And we believe that we're uh, fighting for a form of justice that mm-hmm. um, is good and righteous, but we haven't gone from the macro to the micro and back enough times. And one of the things that you have is the ability to look at things from a really big picture perspective. Like even our conversations that we've had before are, are these like kind of in the clouds in the sense that we're we're talking about life as a whole, death, existence, all of it, flow, mortality, and that ability that you've developed to do that, to go up and then come right back down into really analyzing one piece of, I need better infrastructure. I need a better decision on this one thing. That's a superpower, man. And a lot of people don't have that ability and get lost either head in the clouds too much where they can't come down and they can't make pragmatic decisions and choices, or they're so in the weeds that they've just turned into a lawnmower and they'll never be able to come back out, you know? So, so, so like, dude, just, just want to recognize you for like that ability to just go from, from one place to another and be sound minded and logical and want to make the world better. Um, I, I think that's a rare, rare gift these days. Well, I appreciate that, man. And like, and, and like, and it kind of goes back to like, I don't know if it's a burden because like you, you have like, goes back to when you said, uh, was it Kristen Woods or Chris, mm-hmm. what was it? Kristen Woods is like, whether it's the roots in the hell or, and the branches in heaven that you and I talked about conversations with God, which Again, if people are not religious, it could be called conversations with the universe. So take whatever you want from it. But the reality is it comes with relativity, right? We're like, you have to experience one way to want the other. And so like, yeah, I think the the purpose behind that is to be able to give people the, the you know, the, not everybody should have the burden of having to deal with that. <laughs> That's my mm, point. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, as someone wants to experience their form of relativity and happiness, if they don't want to expand the boundaries and push themselves that much, it shouldn't be an obligation. Yeah. Right. There was like, it shouldn't be absolute survival for them to do so. It should be just what you, cause again, what is flow? You got, it's the perfect tension between anxiety and what is it? You know, so your challenges and your environment and, mm-hmm. you know, you pushed out of that. There's only so many people that can deal with, you know that that level of uh, attention and presence and and pressure, right? Yeah. And I just and it kind of goes back to like if you're if you're an entrepreneur and you like that leadership, their creativity, you can't you can't necessarily do that without a business. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. So a business is a powerful vehicle for you to not just have your identity reflected and get to get into a state of flow, but it, it almost sounds like you're saying it's this. Um, and it's not an asset either. It's almost like this vehicle that allows you to create an impact in ways that you would not have had. It's like a tool almost is what I hear you describing. Well, like it, let's, 
I, I agree with you. Know, power. Well, if you think about how the, the, like our first principle and second principle tie into even like, let's take business out of it. And if you were to sit down and talk to someone about living their best version of themselves, how many of those people, Armand, are going to have to solve their financial freedom first? Mm. I mean, you can't get away from this shit, man. Like right. we all have bills to pay. It call you know, this house, daycare is fucking expensive. In <laughs> and like, I mean, uh, like. I'm so scared all, about daycare. <laughs> 2800 bucks a month. Wow. I mean, like, so wow. Like, so that was this, a lot more than my rent. Like, uh, know, just man. not even, not even that long ago, five years ago. So if you think about like every human being on this planet, and this kind of goes into the inequality and all this stuff is like, you can't decouple finances from your life, period. Mm-hmm. So like, you're either going to wake up and hate your effing job or hate your company, or you could choose to not hate it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to say, well, what am I giving up with finding my f- happiness? You know, ideally, everybody can find their job, whether they're an employer or a business owner, that can pay their bills where they don't have to wake up and be miserable. Mm. That's what I think everybody in the planet should enjoy at some point in their life. If you're a business owner, you say, well, if I can get that cash flow without also being miserable, that would be awesome, too, because I'm also mm-hmm. taking a different level of risk than an employee is. And so, like, why wouldn't you tie that to what you ultimately want? So are you going to sacrifice 15 years of grinding away to get to this thing to then just have the cash flow. So now think about it. if you liquidated, and I mean, again, I've got dozens of interviews where they've got tens of millions of dollars in the bank, and now they're going, well, I'm financially free, but I have no employees, I have no vendors, I have no authority in the community anymore because I'm just the independently wealthy entrepreneur that has sold. So now in order to go, because like if you think about when you, if you had the business, and actually, I interviewed this one woman. She has 10,000 employees. And she goes, and she was really passionate about domestic abuse. She goes, I wonder how many people out of my 10,000 employees have been abused. Wow. And it happened to be like 1,000. Or what I mean, it was, no, it was like 100. It was like 1% or something like right. that. So, but she's like, to go change those people's lives was super easy because she paid their paychecks. And she goes, how about I just build, and she built a $10 million center for these people. And then the other people in the community. So she was able to go to her vendors and her customers and say, Hey, by the way, here's our cause. And she raised money like this because she could threaten. Oh, this is a really awesome example. Yeah. I see the power of this now, the way you're talking about the infrastructure of the business versus sitting on a board and going, God, we should chase the money now because now we have to go. The capitalists who are only optimizing for capital is we have to get the money from them. Yeah. So why don't we just build the conscious capitalist business that integrates both. Mm. I think it's just really thinking about that. Like it truly goes into you're solving your financials, but then also you're building the business around it. And that's where building the valuable company. Like if you, if your value of the business today, after you sell it, if you sold it, you could still be financially free. Then you can truly start to shift the business into saying, I don't have to do that. I don't have to work with you. I don't really care about that. Mm-hmm. And it's true freedom. Hmm. Well, I got to talk to you about my, what I think is my new business model or approach to this, <laughs> to these questions, because man, I definitely need to sit down and get even more intentional. I think you just can't get intentional enough. And sometimes though, I will say some, some people are so analytical that they'll spend so much time 
on these questions that they don't end up making progress. That's like the minority situation. But the opposite problem is not having an, an aim at all and not make and, and making progress, but needing to take two steps back to go one step forward. So I fundamentally agree with that. I definitely got to read this conscious capitalism book. But Ryan, speaking of books like Flow, uh, the fact that you even know how to properly pronounce Mihai Chek set me high. <laughs> um, Conversations with God, which by the way, I have to also throw in like a huge recommendation for. I had so much, like I was just so hesitant to read a book with that title. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, I'm not a religious person at all. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual person, but I couldn't get myself to read a book with the title Conversations with God. And I finally, one day, I think, I don't know who it was, but like just over and over and over. (laughs) And it just sometimes takes that. And I mean, within pages, man, within pages. It's crazy. Floored, just blown away. And like, is he actually having a conversation with God? All that stuff. It doesn't fucking matter. Totally. You nailed it. It doesn't fucking matter. Just get, that's like a weed problem. That's like you're being in the weeds again. Like, is let's zoom out. What's the message here? Is this a, can I learn anything from this? And man, did I learn. Book one and book three were unbelievable. Book two, also valuable, but book three also was un- <laughs> unbelievable. And uh, my, my, my question for you, man, is like, when and how did you start the journey of like self-development and going into to books and concepts like this? Like, when did that really start where you were like, yeah, I do want flow in my life. I, uh, aiming for fulfillment is important. Understanding who I really am on this planet is important. Man, that's a good question. Um, I think it's just a it's a journey that slowly happens with individuals. Like, first of all, I remember looking back when I was a kid because I was not a very good student. They're like, "Oh, Ryan," at conferences, they'd be like, "Ryan is nice and he likes to talk." But, and so like, I was never an academic man, like mm. ever. And then, now. Yeah. And it, well, that's because I'm not filling out multiple choice, like SAT. Yes. And, and, I'm the same, by the way. But like, I think it was like this constant anxiety of not knowing who I was. And like, just, I just wanted to understand who I was and how I compared to others and like just a, like a like slight insecurity of who I was, mm-hmm. and then as I continue, I was in sales all my life. So like, you know, when you're in sales, you slowly start to realize. I mean, first of all, you learn to get rejected all the time, and then you start to realize that people kind of are like products. And you're just like, well, there's this. You, you don't have to like, get as emotionally tied into people's responses, and you see all that. So I got really into psychology, mm-hmm. honestly, so I could make more money. <laughs> and then, and then you start to realize, well, okay, why are these humans being like this? And um, we have major mental health um, issues in my family. So my brother, for a long, long time, mental like whether it's bipolar or anxiety, depression, you name it, like he's been try- trying to struggle through it. Mm-hmm. Sister, my dad, you, you name it, and just trying to understand that and like, mm-hmm. like being able to feel it, but not being able to understand where they're coming from without judgment. Right. Cause like I do try to like, so it was trying to figure that out that just kind of led me into this insane curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I remember back going back to what I was saying about when I was a child in school is I said, I wish I had this superpower where I could take a book and download it in my head <laughs> That was like the superpower I wanted to choose. And like, lo and behold, we have Audible. (laughs) 
podcast. So it's been easier over the last decade to be able to consume. And like, because I am a big picture thinker, like every book or everything, you start to like connect these dots. And I swear to God, it's addicting at some point. Mm-hmm. So it like, really is. It, it, and I, I love know. what you just said. I love what you just said, because one of my favorite things to do that you can't really express this to other people because it would be a masterclass. It would be a book in and of itself to string together all of these little dots that you come across to create a new version of what you're seeing, which is what many books are, by the way. It's like research from here, research from here, research from here, connect this dot, have this individual experience, do this experiment, and then bring it all together to go. (laughs) But to, to do that is one of the greatest highs. And so I would imagine like from a personality perspective, on a, on a, so there's an assessment. Do you know the big five, the big yep. five assessment? Yeah. So your openness must be super high. What was What are the other ones? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, so conscientiousness, neuroticism, openness, uh, and then each one there's five and then each one, um, has, yeah, has like two pillars to it. Typically two sub pillars, uh, Jordan Peterson has a really good one. I think it's only like 10 bucks, 15 bucks on his website, understandmyself.com. I'm going to put that in if, I, if I'm hopefully getting that right. But he's um, a phenomenal one. So I would imagine your your openness is super high because what I hear is like very similar to me, man. Like there's so many things about us that are similar, like the background in sales and then being like, oh, let me understand people, uh, psychology and seeing things in your family and being like, well, I should probably figure this out. Um, so, but the openness is what really is tied to one of the, the pillars of it is intellect, right? And, and really what this comes down to is like having an insatiable curiosity, like constantly wanting to learn that, that, that concept of exactly what you just said, like, wish I could take that book and download it into my brain, you know, because then it's, it really is like a superpower, so to be op- like to have high openness, which is something that you can actually cultivate in life, it's not fixed, hmm. is incredible. And for me, it was the same, man. And I bet it sounds like it was for you. You're like struggling in school and it's not teaching you how to be curious. It's not self-directed learning. It's take this, shove it down your throat and take a test and tell me you know it. <laughs> My goal was like, okay, if I can understand the teacher and befriend them, I'll totally pass this class. <laughs> that, that, was, that was me too. That was yeah, me too. Like, yeah, yeah, man. I think what's interesting to tie it back to conversations with God, Armand, if like, and for the listeners, if like the one sense of peace that I got from that book was the theory of relativity and like how, like when I, when I explain this to others and I try to explain it is like, it's, it's love is the ultimate goal. Like there are, like, if you were God, if you were the ultimate being, you would be always in love. You would be in this internal bliss and you actually wouldn't know what you feel like because you don't know what the opposite is. Like you can't like I only know if I'm tall if I see a short person. I only know that this is big if this is small. Like you only understand it if otherwise you're just by yourself. And I think about what is the worst thing that we can do to a human being on this planet besides capital punishment? solitary confinement Ooh, we, take, yeah. we take the worst human beings on the planet and we remove them from the other worst human beings on the entire planet for punishment mm-hmm. so being by yourself you don't get to experience who you are so like oh. if you think about love 
you have to have fear. And then the way to experience yourself is by understanding how you handled certain situations. So it's not I'm good or I'm bad or this or that. It's the whole the fixed versus growth mindset. So it's like when we have conversations, it's not that you're right or wrong. I'm just trying to understand how I under like how I'm processing your situation. And so I'm learning more mm-hmm. about myself first. And it's just like this constant experience of yourself, which is like mm-hmm. the most beautiful thing that anybody could have instead of living in this perpetual fear. And I literally think hell on earth is being outside of that experience where you just have this scarcity mindset, you're in fear. It's just, it doesn't have to be that way. So then if you understand that, then all the situations in your life become of like an experience of yourself. Like, how do I want to handle this? Is this the person I want to be or not? Mm. And well said about um, hell on earth, because man, I think the big, the big joke is, you know, a lot of people talk again, I, I know many people have personal beliefs, so this is not about that at all. And, and whether there's a heaven and hell after that's up to each person to decide. But I got to tell you one thing, there is absolutely heaven and hell on earth in this lifetime. And for me, I believe that that heaven and hell that even religious books and texts talk about is the one in this existence, in this lifetime, at least what we know is that this is what we know. We're here right now. I'm conscious. I'm sentient. Mm-hmm. I'm self-aware. I'm experiencing life. And I would rather not live a deferred lifestyle where I'm waiting for it after I die. Mm-hmm. I believe wholeheartedly that if a person moves in the direction of love instead of fear, and it, and, and both will always exist, because if they didn't, as you said, it wouldn't be life. And you wouldn't even know the bliss or the hell one without the other. So it's a beautiful thing. But I think the big joke is, man, it's here. It's here now. And so we can orient our lives in a direction where there's an aim or what people often call a purpose, which I think is just this overly heavy thing. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it becomes too much. It's like, does my life have a purpose? What is my purpose? I'm finding my purpose. I think it's more about just like, where are you pointing your compass? Like what direction? Yeah, totally. So you have something to run toward and enjoying the present moment. Deep. You have to enjoy the journey. And that's where like, it kind of, being able to balance those two. And it kind of was going back to when you say that seeing the, the macro and the micro, you're seeing the macro. And here's an, maybe another way of putting it that has helped me in my journey is someone said to me that I interviewed is like, I have a good idea of what it's going to feel like along the way. And when I get there, but it doesn't have to be crystal clear where I'm going to be upset if this doesn't happen in 10 years. It's like, I'm driving towards a feeling, which is what you and I talk about driving towards love and your optimal, like you're learning about yourself. And then along the way is just the experiences to get you there. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think about how does that tie into flow and how does that tie into a business? Well, flow is the perfect tension of your challenges and your skills, right? And as a business owner, it's like a perfect environment for that. You're like, Mm. I want to try this. Well, I made money by doing it. I won that customer. I got that employee. I did this. I got that. I got the website. You're having the immediate gratification that flow is, is needed or is needed in flow to see how well you're doing. And therefore, the more and more you get complacent, the more and more you can push yourself in business. And I've interviewed too many people 
that make so much money when they sell and they no longer have that environment to be able to manage the balance sheet, to be able to win the customers, to be able to play the game. And so they're freaking miserable because they can't recreate that. And so if if you think about even how that ties into conversations with God and the relativity is you can't fully experience yourself if you don't have those environments and if you don't have flow. Mm. So I've watched these people get utterly depressed that are worth so much because they can't experience who they are in flow hmm. because the business environment is gone. Wow. That's wild. So it's not so much that they attained the goal and then it wasn't as fulfilling as they thought it would be. That might be a piece of it, but it sounds like it's more about the fact that they no longer get to experience themselves and the thing that lit them up in the first place. Like they don't have that thing anymore that is a reflection of their personality. (laughs) You know what's the worst thing you can ask an entrepreneur that has sold their company? Oh God, what? What do you do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I used to Uh, dot, dot, dot. They're just living in the past, which we know living in the past is not making you more fulfilled. I mean, dude, it's, it's mate. Like this is a hundred percent psychological and it's like the, it's personality money all tied together. Cause you're right. I mean, they obtained the goal, but they didn't realize that it's the journey, right? I mean, like they really don't know. Like if you think about, if you don't have a business, what do you wake up and do? There's no emails. There's no hiring. There's no vendors. There's no customers. There's no pricing. There's no balance sheets. There's no VAT. Like you're just... Yes. And being busy is great medicine. Too much busy, burnout. But the right amount of busy, I think it was Dale Carnegie that said it's the cheapest medicine on planet Earth. (laughs) You know, it's like if you don't have shit to do, that's where a lot of disease and dysfunction can show up for the mind in particular. And so staying busy to a certain degree is actually very healthy. And a lot of people shit on it and, and make it sound like it's an awful thing. But as long as you have balance, you go ask any of these people that are worth tons of money that aren't doing shit, how happy they are. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, man, it's, you know, that book that you and I were going back and forth on Facebook of becoming supernatural. I mean, like the mm-hmm. people that all of a sudden, these entrepreneurs itself end up living in the past. So they end up recreating and like thinking about this stuff because they don't know how to move forward and they haven't, they're not constantly evolving their identity. And it's, mm-hmm. And, and it's okay if you want to sell your business, just recreate yeah, just have that outside the business. Yeah. Well, that, that gives me good, uh, first of all, it's just a great warning message for everybody, but in particular to personalize it, it's like for me, it makes me realize how important it is that I am wanting a transition of some sort in certain areas of my businesses, but knowing that I'm investing it in an area, which is in particular this podcast that is the perfect exercise in flow for me, first of all, because I have to constantly improve my skill set of having these conversations with amazing people like you. Uh, and it's the right amount of friction and challenge and uncertainty because, you know, it's like, I don't edit these things. Like, this is just, this is it. Like, let's go. And so uh, it's very like tunes me into the present. But the fact that I know I want to put time and energy into this, I think is very important. And I, I, I agree with you. I don't think I would have made the decision to have some form of a transition in my business if I didn't have an area to put it into. I think it'd be, that'd be miserable, you know? Um, so it's really important for people to realize that, especially after you've had 200 episodes where you've talked to people about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, you know, what, what's the whole notion is, um, 
knowledge is learning from your own experiences. Wisdom is learning from other people's experience or something like that. Yeah. Sure, way yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. So it's like, if you can actually take something from a YouTube video, from a podcast, really hear somebody and say, okay, do I actually have to go through that pain in order to learn that lesson? No, not necessarily. Like I can take it down. That is true wisdom. That's also emotional intelligence. Well, I just think about like, the one thing that I think a lot of people are lacking these days in it is like, why are you doing what you're doing? Like just purely just ask yourself that, you know, Simon's the next why for your business is fine. But like, mm-hmm. why? and don't say just the money, it's total bullshit. Like, it's just like, you're a human being. Like, what's the purpose of this? What is the, what is it that you're truly trying to solve for? Cause otherwise you're just waking up and you like, um, I had this guy in one of our boot camps say it perfectly. He goes, unless you know this shit, he goes, you would become an entrepreneur to have your own freedom and to write your story. But the reality is someone else has got the pen and the paper, unless you understand this. Ooh. <laughs> Too many entrepreneurs sign up for freedom and end up kind of becoming enslaved. So yeah. then they want to get out of it mm-hmm. and then they want to get out of it. And so they sacrifice the value you know, they don't understand the true value and they're like, I just want out because they want out of their management role, not the ownership. Mm-hmm. So again, that's why you separate those two and you say, I want out of my role. Mm-hmm. What's the value? That's different. And like, and so they blend it all together and they try and, I mean, I had the guy that I interviewed and he said, I woke up one morning, I felt I had a noose on my com- on my neck. So I sold my company a month later. I'm like, well, that's a bummer because your company, well, there was a shitload and you could have sold it for way more. Had you had the energy, hired a president, mm-hmm. you just... Yeah, it's just thinking about it <laughs> and how it all fits together. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, this has been amazing, dude. Um, I, I want to work toward wrapping up because I want to be respectful of your time. How can uh, people find out more about what you're doing and what what final words do you want to wrap on here, Ryan? Um, my website is Arcona, A-R-K-O-N-A dot I-O. Podcast link is there. We've got our online course that's there. That Yeah, this is us. a new course that you did, right? Yep, it's the digital version of the live boot camps because unless you want to wear masks for two days in a row in a confined room, um, we are the the digital version as of right now is the way to go. Um, but the podcast is there, and yeah, all of our stuff is there. And I would just say, like, just spend the time. Give yourself, give the, the listeners should give themselves the time to think about this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the the last piece is so crucial, where most people just simply don't take the time to ask the right questions of themselves. And it seems like, and I know this from my experience, sometimes we're just afraid of the question because we're afraid of the answer. So we don't get present with ourselves to ask ourselves, why am I really doing this? And this, by the way, applies to anybody, not just entrepreneurs. It's like, you could have a job. You could just be doing your thing, trying to pay your bills and get by. But like, if you actually ask yourself why you're doing it and what you really wanted, like life can change in an instant. But it, in, in, to, to piggyback off that, <laughs> so there's this beautiful thing called cognitive dissonance where the moment that you address that and your current situation is not like relating to that new narrative that you're creating it's really internally painful. So you're going to start moving towards action and that action can be painful, but go back to like, then you're truly experiencing yourself. And the only way is to lean into that discomfort. Otherwise you're going to be stuck in it. They like, yeah, it's, 
It's a good final note. <laughs> Very important. It's always fun to talk to you, man. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you, brother. Boom, boom. There it is. My interview with the one and only Ryan Tansom. I hope you enjoyed lots of juicy stuff for you there, especially for those of you that are considering diving into the world of entrepreneurship or are already there. And uh, I'm telling you, when Ryan first started talking to me about some of these concepts, it was just like, oh my God, wish I'd met you a long time ago. So uh, take it, take this information, take this knowledge, implement it into your life, implement it in your business, and uh, may your life become better as a result of it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to share on social media and with a friend. And if you haven't already subscribed, please do so on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you are listening. And if you haven't left a review, please do. I love your reviews. It means the world to me. Until next time, peace. Peace.